Hello, welcome to PNAA Rise Up, Real Issues and Stories of Every One of Us podcast. For this episode, our guest is Megan Kellum. But first, let me introduce ourselves. I'm Manny Ramos, a board member of PNAA and a past president of the Philippine Nurses Association of Central Florida. I'm a professor of nursing at Valencia College and an adjunct professor at William Patterson University. With me today is my co-host, Mindy Ofiana. Mindy? Hello, Manny. Welcome, everyone. Hi, Mindy. I'm Mindy Ofiana, Legislative Committee Chair of PNAA and the Corresponding Secretary for PNAA Foundation. I was the past president for PNA Southern California. Before my retirement, I served as both the Chief Operating Officer and Chief Nursing Officer at one of the medical centers owned by KPC Group of Companies. Manny? Thank you, Mindy. Now let me introduce our guest. Our guest is Megan Callum, an immigration attorney and founder of the law offices of Megan E. Callum in Naples, Florida. Megan represents clients before the U.S. Immigration Services, the U.S. Immigration Court, the U.S. Department of Labor, U.S. Department of State, and the U.S. Consulates and Embassies around the world. For more than 17 years, she has advocated for individuals across the globe in matters from U.S. citizenship to deportation defense. She's an advocate for human rights and has collaborated with government and non-government organizations to pursue justice for immigrant and foreign workers. Megan is best known for her work in the, fa- uh, in the fight against human trafficking. And since 2006, she has represented and assisted countless survivors of sex and labor trafficking. Her mission includes seeking justice in court, immigration relief, educating the community, preventing exploitation, and empowering survivors. Megan, welcome to Rise Up. Thank you very much for having me. So Megan, I'm going to ask uh, the first question, and uh, that would be, what attracted you to specialize in immigration law? To be honest, Uh I think I was always on this path, and I just didn't realize it. I didn't, while I was in law school, I didn't have a lot of exposure to immigration law, just the basics. But I will tell you that when I was in high school, a very dear friend of mine was, um, her family was not from the United States. And she was my best friend in the entire world. And I I saw her go through so many struggles with her family trying to um, get their permanent residency and then ultimately their citizenship. And I think it piqued my interest all the way back in high school. So I, I think that set me on a trajectory and I found myself doing it now. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Megan, immigration is one of the fundamental building blocks that shaped America become a unique nation that it is today. What would you consider to be America's most significant issues in immigration? There are so many. That's a, that's a very difficult question to ask. Um, I think that the system, unfortunately, is under immense pressure. And right now, um, with the COVID shutdowns and everything that's happened, you know, since January, February, March 2020, the immigration system is it's under more stress than ever. We have significant backlogs. We have separations of, of families and because of these backlogs and the 
massive amount of time it's taking to process basic applications. We're seeing employers suffer. We're seeing workers suffer and families suffer. So, you know, I don't think I could narrow it down to what the the primary issue is, but but one of the worst right now is is the backlogs and the sheer amount of time it's taking to process anything in the immigration. Okay, so um, I saw in your background uh, about human trafficking. So for our listeners and viewers who may not be familiar with human trafficking, would you define what human trafficking is? Yeah, sure. So human trafficking is really about the exploitation of people. I think um, a lot of individuals get it confused with maybe smuggling or, you know, the the transportation of of people from place to place. But but human trafficking is really about exploitation. And I think sex trafficking gets the the most um, press and and media coverage. But um, an area that I've been really working on trying to shed more light on is, is labor trafficking, because it is a big problem. It's a problem across industries, and because there's not a lot of discussion about it, I think it's easy to, you know, cases slip through the cracks a lot easier. Mm-hmm. So, so for the person who's a victim of labor trafficking, what resources are available for them? Well, it depends. It depends um, in what stage that we can identify the individual, um, and it 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 really boils down to, you know, case by case basis. Mm-hmm. A lot of the individuals I work with are non-Americans, they're non-citizens. And so there is that immigration component to it. Mm-hmm. So for example, if um, if someone is recruited from their home country based on the promise of a wonderful job in the United States and, and the, the idea of the American dream, and they're brought here under false pretenses, now they're here and you know, potentially there was some visa issues or immigration issues, you know, uh, getting out from underneath employment issues can be a problem. So there's there's so many levels and, and so many issues that have to be dealt with. Our law enforcement agencies can be resources. There are non-government organizations that can be resources. Um you know, we're trying to spread the word. There are lawyers and, and other, you know, professionals that are trying to help. But um, it's it's really tough. It's, it's honestly a very, very difficult problem to face. Mm-hmm. So, Megan, um, in, in your work related to uh, labor trafficking, do you see a lot of uh, nurses who have come to reach out to you relate, uh, related to their uh, issues? I do. I do. And I think that's what brought us all together here today is, um, you know, I have been lucky enough to find myself involved in a really wonderful Filipino community. And it, it goes all the way back to 2006 when I was first um, involved in it was actually a healthcare staffing company case where some uh, Filipino workers were brought to the United States to, to do some healthcare work. And that was not the result of, of what happened when they got here. And so um, through that, I have just somehow found myself involved in, in the Filipino community and they're so tight knit and 
Um, they've passed my name around. And so since 2006, a, a bulk of my work has been working with uh, Filipino healthcare workers, um, nurses, physical therapists. So, so in, in, in that note, there are rights of, in, of um, foreign educated healthcare workers, right? And also there's, there are rights for the employers. What, where, is the, where is the division? Where, where is the legal aspect that would be different or would cause a litigation on either side, whether you're an employer or the uh, victim? Sure. You know, and I want to preface my, my responses with this. Uh, some things I may say today, um, I, I, my intention is not to scare anyone that might be listening to this. Really, my intention is to help empower people. And I realized that when somebody is focused on a goal, for example, if you're a, a nurse in the Philippines and you want to come to the United States or, or any other country to work, you can be so focused on that goal that, that sometimes things fall through the cracks, almost like, um, like a, a surfer waiting to catch a big wave. You know, you focus so hard on that wave, you might not realize that there are sharks swimming around you. And you know, I think that some of the the problems start at the very beginning when people are so focused on their goal and the excitement. I think that um, they might take situations for granted or maybe so enticed by the, the excitement that they, they aren't really doing everything they can do to protect themselves. I see. And so when you say, what are some of the issues that can that can come about? I mean, a lot of it is contract issues. Hmm. And that that's where the, the legal um, framework can come into play. But it's really much more than that. It's it's really human issues. But but the contract issues seem to be what, you know, what what brings the the conflict to the surface. But I know that from personal experience and a lot of the nurses that I've spoken with through the years, they get so excited and, and focused on studying for the exams and doing all of the preparation in order to get to the United States. And they maybe didn't focus on reading their contract enough, or they maybe didn't understand exactly what they were promising. And once they got to the United States, then they realized hey, this is not what I signed up for, or I didn't realize I would have these obligations. And so, you know, that's really when the breakdown starts to happen. So from a practical standpoint, uh, Megan, uh, for those who are listening today, they may know someone who is needing this type of help or in this, this type of help or in this situation already, or they themselves could be listening to this podcast. Um, how do they, they how do they start that process? Because some of them are afraid of intimidation and retaliation, losing their job, which obviously they need, right, to provide for themselves for food and securing their shelter. A lot of them may be very hesitant to speak up or probably don't even know where to start to reach out for help. Um, what would be your practical advice for them to even just start the process of seeking help if they are in that type of situation 
or if somebody knows someone who is in that type of a situation? Absolutely. The, the first thing to do is ask for help. If there's ever a situation where you don't understand, it is to ask for help and, and to reach out to people you trust in your community or, for example, organizations like yourselves or, or other organizations that have support and may be able to refer them to somebody. Um, you know, I know that reaching out to a lawyer can be intimidating um, and it, you know, it almost feels like it, it's going to snowball into a bigger problem. But but really, the first step is to just ask the question. Mm-hmm. And I, I encourage people, especially if, if in their gut, they're feeling something is wrong, or they're not sure if they're being treated properly. The best way to start is to say, hey, let me call someone that might be able to answer these questions. And maybe I realize, wow, I'm not being treated fairly. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I find out, nope, this is this is how it works. Because as Mindy said, you know, workers have rights in the United States and so do employers. And so, you know, if you sign a contract, you you need to understand what the ramifications are for you and for the employer if you're not abiding by that contract. But, you know, one important thing is, is to not feel intimidated and to know that there really are people out there that are are in this area and willing to help. Because I think so many of the nurses I talked to said the reason they didn't is they just felt scared or they felt mm-hmm. alone or they didn't want to get in trouble. And and that's where my heart breaks because, you know, people will, will put themselves in a situation much longer than they need to just out mm-hmm. of fear. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to the things that uh, sort of like if you, I, I, if I put the analogy of a disease, it's like you're we're doing a cure for for that disease. So as a as a nurse, I'm a believer in prevention. So what advice can you share with us so that we can prevent them once they come here that they're not going to be facing such um, um, harmful, if you will, for lack of a better term, harmful practices of uh, traffickers. Mindy, that is an excellent question. And so if you remember with what I said, that that human trafficking is about exploitation, right? It, it's about taking advantage of workers in a way that, that it wasn't intended. Mm-hmm. And that can be a number of things. So it can be promising somebody a salary and not paying them according to either the immigration requirements or according to their contract. Um, it can be promising someone a job, and as soon as they enter the United States, then they tell you, oh, well, we don't have a job for you yet, and requiring that person to wait uh, weeks without pay. You know, there's all different types of exploitation, mm-hmm. but you're right. Prevention is, it is the key, and it starts all the way back in the Philippines yeah. when when you're meeting the recruiter or the staffing company for that very first time, if you are presented with a contract um, it's important to read it. And I know, trust me, I'm a lawyer and I know what contracts, I mean, I tell my clients, read them if you want to fall asleep at night because they can <laughs> put you to sleep and they're full of words that don't make sense. But when it's about your future, especially if you're relocating and moving to a whole new country, I mean, that's got to be step one is is reading your contracts and trying to understand them and also your immigration documents. You would be shocked at how often I talk to people that say, well, I, I never got to look at them or 
they just gave me the signature page and I didn't realize what I was signing. And those immigration documents contain such important information and obligation for both the employer and the employee. So without having an understanding of them, um, it, it can really open the door to problems. So in relation to those contracts, uh, Megan, um, just as what you mentioned, you know, sometimes they're so excited, these uh, nurses from foreign countries, they're so excited to, you know, to come to the U.S. and, and work. And oftentimes they haven't really fully understood the contract and some probably just signed it. So would that ever be a ground for, you know, not, binding with the contract? If, if they, would, would that ever stand if they say, well, I never really understood it? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. There are certain defenses to a contract, you know, if you were forced into it or they were signed under duress. But, you know, really, if you're over 18 and you are of legal capacity in the United States, you know, if you sign a contract, you should read it and try to understand but, you know, there are some things that I think um, are, are red flags that people can look for in, in these contracts. And at least it can help them ask some questions. But, but here's the caveat is I know that um, it's a competitive area. And I know that there are, um, you know, a lot of nurses that, that want to go to other countries to provide their services. And so a lot of times there, you know, people are afraid, well, if I ask questions, then they won't choose me or I won't get the job. Right. And, and right. what I challenge people to think about is may, maybe that's, that's okay. You know, may, maybe that's the path you should be on. If they're not willing to, to choose you because you have questions, well, what, what happens if there's a problem once you get in the United States? You know, you want to start off on, the good, on a good foot. You want to start off with a, you know, a strong understanding of what your obligations are. And if, if a company is not willing to at least provide you time to understand the contract, that might be something you might want to give a little more thought to. But, you know, some other red flags and, and some things that I see that are very typical, and I will say these are red flags. These are not always the sign of a problem. But some things that would raise my eyebrow as an attorney would be if, um, you know, if a recruiting company or a staffing agency is vague about who the employer is going to be, mm. um, if, if they are vague about uh, where the job is going to be, you know, because uh, I have personal experiences where people were promised jobs here in Florida and they get to Florida and they are they never work in Florida. They're sent to other states. They're separated from family that they thought they'd be able to live with in Florida and, you know, so you want to make sure that you have a real understanding of, of what the job is, where the job is, and who your employer is. And, and those things should be spelled out in a contract. Mm -hmm. I see. You know, I, as you are speaking, my, my uh, memories of me coming to the United States, because I came here as a working visa. And um, one, I did not read my contract. There was so much trust in that um, um, recruitment agency that I, maybe I'm lucky that they, I was not part of being the victim of trafficking. However, I have a friend who is a chief nursing officer and currently they're experiencing where uh, they recruit. And as soon as the nurses comes, uh, sits 
in the airport, they don't even go or go to the hospital that recruited them. Is that right? I mean, you know, if, do they have that right of just not abandoning that hospital that recruited them? You know, they and do they does the it's, employee have the right to sue? It's it's that's a complicated question, and and it. it boils down to what the contract documents are and what the immigration documents are, you know, and also what kind of visa you're brought over. So it's very different. It can be different if you're an H-1B worker versus um, labor certification, the the green card, uh, green card yeah. workers. They're green but card I, holders. They're, I'm sorry. They're green card hold, hold, um, holders. And that's the reason why they have the, how do you get them? They have the, um, uh, they, Take the risk of not joining the or, the organization that that recruited them, and just go somewhere else. You know, so yeah, and and it can be a problem. That that's that's one issue that comes up a lot in um, in situations that I've dealt with, where an individual is is recruited by one company and signs a contract with one company. Their immigration documents, the sponsor, is an entirely different company. Then they get to the United States and they're sent to work to, for somebody else that they've never even heard of. Now, it could be a complex web of contracts between those companies. Um, but, you know, in my opinion, that can be a red flag in and of itself. Why does it need to be so complicated? And, and Mindy, you asked about, you know, issues with immigration. And this is one of them where we have been pushing for reform in this area where, uh, you know, a lot of the um, bill proposals for immigration reform, you know, if there's not accountability for the employers, then it opens up to more exploitation of workers. Yeah. And so, you know, with these recruiting companies, if, if, if the workers are, are brought to the United States and then they're sent to work for someone else that didn't sponsor them, that can be a big issue. And it can it could in fact put their green card in jeopardy, or it could uh, cause problems with naturalization, because their their immigrant visa was based on that that job sponsor. Yeah, that's true. So it's all very intertwined in a very complicated framework. And 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 I I get being excited about the contracts. I I get that, and I understand. But when you are putting that much trust, um. What I hope to to let people know is that there are, you know, there are good recruitment companies, there are good staffing agencies, but there are also predatory recruiters and predatory staffing agencies that really are looking for cheap foreign labor. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's really tough once you're in the United States and you feel trapped in a situation where if you don't go work for who they told you to work for. They threaten to sue you for thousands and thousands of dollars or they threaten, you know, breach of contract. They threaten all, you know, calling immigration, deportation, all of these things. Um, and, And that can be very inappropriate. I mean, there should not be threats to deportation if you're not, um, you know, working in a pro if you're, if you're not, let, let me rewind threats of deportation. Um, can be a real 
bad sign if it's used to force people to continue to work in an inappropriate situation. I see. So, uh, Megan, uh, does the state have an obligation to a victim of labor trafficking? An obligation? I don't know how to answer that. I don't know. So, you know. I mean, I think they should have an obligation. But I think part of the problem is that, as I said before, there there's so little information on labor trafficking. We're just now starting to see some um, victimized workers stand up and, and speak out. And we're seeing some lawsuits being filed against, uh, you know, predatory recruitment companies and predatory staffing agencies. And, and that's motivating change, which is excellent. And we are seeing eyes now on, on this area where people are realizing human trafficking is not just sex trafficking. It, it can, you know, it could be the, the woman cleaning a, a hotel room. It could be the nurse providing you frontline healthcare services in a pandemic. I mean, it, you know, you can see this everywhere. So in terms of, you know, is there an obligation? Um, I can say that there are resources that can be provided if somebody is identified as a human trafficking victim or survivor. But getting there is the hard part because many times it takes years before that can even occur. Hmm. So let me do a quick follow-up on that question because, uh, so for example, uh, for, for those clients that you've had, Maureen, they, they didn't have any choice but to leave their employer because of the uh, working conditions that they couldn't, you know, that are unfair or unlawful or illegal. And now essentially they are left with no source of income to you know, secure their food and shelter. Um, have they shared, therefore, uh, you know, how, how was that managed or what what resources have they tapped? Have they shared any? So what I can tell you that that might be helpful is is a basic situation from start to finish. So in, in unfortunately, it's almost, uh, it's almost cookie cutter. I, I see the same blueprint over and over again. So it will be a Filipino trained nurse who is in the Philippines and who is recruited to work in the United States, signs that contract and is so excited and maybe doesn't pay attention, maybe doesn't read it, maybe doesn't understand it or is afraid they won't get the job. Brought to the United States, uh, sent to an employer that was not who was promised paid less than what was promised, working in areas that were not promised. For example, uh, one of my clients, she was uh, brought over to be a physical therapist and they forced her to work in physical therapist assistant position, which is got a much lower pay rate um, and, and, and definitely put her in a financial strain. Or there have been times where my clients are nurses and they are promised a nursing position, but they're forced to work as nurses assistants. And um, eventually, Manny, as you as you suggest, they get to a point where they can't continue. They're they're not earning enough to pay 
for their their family, they're not earning enough to to survive on, mm-hmm. or they're being overworked or you know exploited in other ways. Mm-hmm. Those that do decide to leave, um, in many cases that I've worked on, they have faced threats of deportation, threats of lawsuits. Mm-hmm. Many have had lawsuits filed against them. And unfortunately, they have had to bear the brunt of a lot of that burden. And I think some of it is fear. But there are also those who are now getting the courage to stand up and and fight back. And that is something that our law allows for. You know, if Mm -hmm. in, in terms of a contract, if you sign a contract with someone and they're not performing, they're not doing what they promise and you are, that can be a defense. That can be a defense to a breach of contract if someone else broke the contract first. Mm-hmm. Now, this is complicated and, you know, don't take legal advice from a podcast sort of thing. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's it's complicated. But, you know, those 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 are areas where people need to understand that they can be empowered and they should reach out and they, they should um, ask the questions. Otherwise, they are forced to bear the brunt of it. And, and there are not that I'm aware of. There are not a lot of organizations that that will provide unlimited resources for people in these situations. So, Megan, in your line of work, there are ups and downs of the line of work that you do. How do you feel? Do you have more successes than failures? I don't consider, I, I, I really don't have, I don't see myself as having a lot of failures because I look at, in terms of, especially with, with the trafficking and the, the labor trafficking, if, if someone even calls me and reaches out, that's a success. Yeah. If someone says, hey, can you just read my contract and can you tell me, you know, is it right that my employer is doing A, B, C, and D? That's a success. You know, and and once once you start that dialogue, then then you can prepare a plan or you can assess your situation and decide how best to help the person that's in, in you know, that that's feeling exploited or, or feeling like they're being taken advantage of. So before we end this podcast, uh, Megan, we had uh, a few questions that came in. Uh, since they knew we were going to be talking about this topic uh, in this episode of podcast. And one of them is, is it legal for the contracting agency to hold their green cards um, while they are under contract? That That is inappropriate. That is inappropriate. If it, you know, they should immediately turn over those documents to the recipient, passports, green cards, you know, identifying documents, they should be in possession of the, the person that they were issued. To. It, they should not be retained by the employer or agency. Okay. And one last question. Uh, what does it mean for a um, uh, legal migrant worker who came here, like, for example, a nurse who came in here, what does the uh, phrase that says equal pay, equal work, what does that, what may that imply for a nurse? And what are the rights, um, you know, associated with that? I'm not sure I'm, I'm familiar with that phrase in any particular 
situation. Um, you know, but what I will say is that in the term in, you know, in as it relates to, you know, maybe a a, a foreign worker from abroad that's coming to the United States, you know, they are entitled to fair pay, you know, fair compensation. Maybe. But do you do you have any any in, any other information about what that in a in a uh, so they, was being used? They were asking about the rate of pay compared mm -hmm. to the um, nurses who are, uh, let's say, for example, American nurses okay. uh, compared to foreign uh, educated health. Uh, professionals okay. uh, who come in as nurses, um, is, is, is there, do they have a certain right as related to wages? Well, that, that depends. Now, I, I will preface this by saying that I believe that inequality in the workplace, especially in healthcare, that negatively impacts the quality of care. You know, anybody that's working in the United States, they should be, you know, offered a competitive and fair wage. Now, if if it is an individual that has come over on a specific type of visa or uh, a labor certification, there are some obligations in those immigration documents in terms of being paid the prevailing wage. But I think sometimes um, the nurses will find that they were brought here and they're being paid a wage and they realize Oh wow! Someone who wasn't brought over by a recruitment company or staffing company are are making substantially more, and it is part of the problem with this type of, like I said, this this blueprint of of the situation. So you know, I mean, that is what some of the proposals for change are: is is to make sure that they're. Recruitment, uh, I will put it this way, recruitment and staffing agencies should be required to compete in a free and fair labor market, just like any other organization. And that means offer competitive wages and, and not be able to um, trap people in contracts with lower paying wages for significant period of time. So, you know, and I, I, I must also say that I am not a labor lawyer. And so when there are questions of pay rates, paid time off, you know, things like that, um, it's really important that that can be a very specific area of law that, that people need to reach out to labor lawyers or, you know, in there are resources with our government as well. Um, the wage and hour division, mm -hmm. the Department of Labor. Yeah resources where people can see, you know, am I being treated fairly or is this workplace discrimination or is this in violation of the terms of my visa, my prevailing wage? Those are very complicated questions, but they're very important to ask. So, uh, Megan, for that physical therapist, um, what has happened to them, uh, to their case? Well, so as, you know, Mindy asked about successes and failures and, and, you know, I've had, this is an example of a case that was a success because she is now employed happily as a physical therapist and she loves her job and loves her employer. There were some hurdles she had to overcome and she did have to stand up for herself. She decided to leave employment and she did have to face some 
legal repercussions and some legal threats. But ultimately, the case um, settled amicably, and she was able to find herself in a much better situation. So it it you know it's it's not without confrontation, and often that's that's what the law is. You know, the law allows us to to confront issues head on, and sometimes it can be a little daunting, but once you overcome that, there can be a great result. And she's very happy now. So Megan, in closing, are there parting words you want to say to our viewers and listeners? Yeah, absolutely. I want to, you know, let your listeners and, and viewers know that I am offering myself as a resource. I'm only licensed to practice in the state of Florida. So if there are contractual issues and you're not in Florida, I might not be able to help you. But I will absolutely do what I can to help put you in touch with somebody or help coordinate with agencies or however I can. You know, like I said, my, my goal is to help educate and help people and be a resource for them. So, you know, that offer is out there and that offer stands. Thank you, Megan. I'm sure with all of that information that you've shared, our listeners and viewers will be able to share it to those who need it. And I'm sure there were also listeners who uh, learned a lot uh, from this episode. So we appreciate and thank you for your knowledge and expertise. Thank you. And that is all that we have for this episode. I want to thank our guest, Attorney Megan Kellum, my co-host, Mindy Ofiana. Our director and producer, Rodney Cajudo. Our executive producers, PNAA president, Dr. Mary Joy Garcia Dia, and PNAA executive director, Carmina Bautista. Join us every Wednesday here on Rise Up. Until then, keep on rising. See you next week.